0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.
1: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
0: Hey, everybody. We got a, just a great one for a change. Andy Slavitt, uh, his third third time on that is, uh, and every one of them, when I say great for a change, not with him. I meant... Our other guests, let's face it, have not been. (laughs) No, everybody's been great. But Andy especially, and he's on. it's the third one for him for a reason. I don't think I've had anyone on as the sole guest twice. Uh, So this is his third. Let me remind you who he is, because I don't think we did this last time he was on. Last time he was on, he was on to tell about what all the Democratic candidates' health care policies were, which I thought was uh, a helpful thing and uh this is who andy is this is who andy is he's the guy who saved healthcare.gov remember healthcare.gov they went online it didn't work the thing crashed it just crashed miserably they were trying to fix it and a couple weeks went by and andy's in minnesota i know andy from minnesota he's working at united health and he calls up hhs just out of the blue calls them up and says hey uh i think you don't have a technical problem here i think you have like a uh, administrative problem you have uh, an execution problem it, this is any technical thing can be figured out but something's going wrong with the way you're managing this thing the way this is being run and they said could you come out here <laughs> And he did he flew out the next day with a sheet of paper one a uh, one sheeter and a guy another guy from united health they talked to him, and they they did a press conference that day and said, "This is Andy Slavin, and he's going to fix healthcare.gov and get it up in five weeks." And he didn't know that part of the press conference—the five weeks part—and so he did. He did it. He got it up. Essentially, what he did was he saved the Affordable Care Act, and he saved the uh, Obama administration. We wouldn't have had a second Obama administration without this guy. That's why I have on. He's, he's a smart guy. He's also a friend, and you'll see that. And uh, right now we're having guests who are sheltered uh, themselves, isolated. And he's in his home in Minnesota, so he's there. And he's has a wife, Lana. He has two boys. One of them, Zach, helped him. We we have to send a microphone that you have to attach to some computer to do this. And that's what he did, and um you need Zach, you need his kid, Zach, who I think is eighteen. you need and he's not I guess he's not a millennial. he's something the next thing after millennial, but as far as I'm concerned, he's still to blame for a lot of this because I think he went to the beach, frankly, not in Minnesota. I think he must have <laughs> taken spring break somewhere and spread uh this coronavirus anyway. Uh, By the way, you're going to hear throughout this, and we're going to probably be talking about the coronavirus for some time. uh, Every once in a while, I will maybe crack wise, uh, say something that people will go, wait a minute, this is horrible. And it is. This is a horrible, horrible tragedy uh, like we have not seen uh, in our lifetimes. not None of us. But comedians often do dark humor um, for a reason. And whenever I figure that out, I will tell you what it is. But I think it is to acknowledge that life has some dark aspects to it and that we need to recognize that. And maybe sometimes the best way to handle that is uh, with... something that's really unique to humans, which is humor and laughter. Maybe dogs. Maybe dogs. I've seen a couple dogs. I've met a couple dogs who are funny. Anyway, um, this is with Andy Slavitt, and I don't know. We may have a couple sound difficulties, but I think uh, we've tried to get them out of there. And uh, because this mic, we don't have it perfected yet. Uh, we've been working with the Trump administration, but they haven't been as cooperative as we'd like on this. Uh, the president uh, said that uh, they aren't a shipping clerk. And this was FedEx. FedEx did this, and they did a fine job getting this microphone out to Andy, out to Edina, Minnesota. And uh, this is interesting because now we're doing that. That's what we have to do with our guests. We got it in the Zach's hand and Zach, the uh, 18-year-old um, sub-millennial, whatever that is, he, he connected. And thank God for, for you guys uh, who know how to do things technically but have terrible penmanship. Okay, so here's our interview uh, with Andy Slavik. Uh Zach is 18. You say, Zach... Uh, Slavitt is with Andy Slavitt at their home. Uh, They are uh, sheltering in place in Edina, Minnesota. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. And uh, Zach has helped you connect because now we, uh, we, this is how we're doing it. We're doing it. We're talking to folks uh, who are sheltering, as they should. And uh, we're with Andy Slavit, who is uh, former acting administrator of CMS uh, centers for Medicare and, and Medicaid uh, under the Obama administration. And the guy I like to say, Andy's been uh, with us before. Uh, this is going to be another good one. It's going to be another good one because usually I say this is going to be a good one for change. But everyone with you so far, so far has been good, Andy.
2: L- last time we were doing this, weren't we like face-to-face or shoulder-to-shoulder?
0: I, I, I believe we were. We I think both times we were, yeah. and...
2: Uh, now we're in this kind of, um, hey, I'm at home, are you at home kind of thing.
0: Yeah, um, I am in a hermetically sealed uh, <laughs> studio in my home, and I'm waving now at Franny, honey. <laughs> she she can't see me, and it's soundproof, so... Um,
2: they were automatically sealed things at uh, at our store. They, they they disappear every morning at 6 a.m. I think.
0: Yeah, you got to get there early. No, I uh, we are sheltering here. Unfortunately, in D.C. I mean, fortunate for one thing, we have two grandchildren, a six-year-old and a three-year-old here who are sheltering two blocks from us at home with their their uh, parents, so we can go over there, get our exercise, <laughs> and then help uh, put them to bed. One of the tragedies about this whole thing is Andy, you know that I was on tour. I was the only uh, former senator comedian currently on tour and uh, performing for thousands. And now I can't do that anymore. So um, my daughter who was a former third grade teacher, has organized their day. They're all at home. Uh, she's working from home. She's structured their day, they have math, they have uh, reading, they have uh, language, they have art, and then there's um, downtime, free time, and, that, and I do my act for them. <laughs> and they're getting a little sick of that, but uh, at night, I can uh, read them age-appropriate bedtime stories.
2: First of all, we've all become homeschoolers. I mean, who, who would have who thought? Uh, do you think this is the first pandemic comedic conversation to have existed?
0: Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, in 1918, 1919, uh, uh, with the Spanish flu, just some uh, some hilarious stuff uh, came out of that. But let's get to something uh, serious here, because uh, people are on edge, uh, particularly former FEMA director Craig Fugate. Um, we're taping this on Thursday, and earlier today, Andy, you uh, were making one of your appearances on cable TV, this one with Katie Turr of uh, MSNBC and Director Fugate uh, took issue with something that you had said about the need for uh, national leadership uh, from the president, kind of a command structure uh, from on top. And uh, he kind of testily uh, shot back at you and said, "No, governor is sitting back waiting for instructions from." And and uh, then you kind of came back with, "Well, let's play it."
2: With all due respect to your other guests, there's not a governor in the country that's waiting for the federal government right now. They are all acting. What they need is coordination because we have, believe it or not, we have masks, we have a lot of these things. Guess where they are? They're sitting in the supply chain. People are profiteering off of them or they're going to places where people are hoarding them. Now, that happens in a crisis. It's only only by someone looking through the entire system And seeing where those needs are, that you can say, stop hoarding them all in Texas. We need them in New York right now while we build manufacturing capability and put them in Texas. So what your other guest is suggesting here is not helpful. We need a great partnership between the federal and state government.
3: Uh,
4: Craig, you want to sit down and respond to this? I guess Craig has left. Um, Andy, he doesn't agree with you at all.
2: I guess not. But look, these are trying times, and everyone's trying their best. And I know Craig is—I don't know Craig personally, but I'm, I'm sure he's working his hardest and trying his best. Uh, everybody is. Uh, this is; these are unprecedented times, um, so uh, understandable that he's frustrated.
0: I think I think he just at that moment. There's a lot of frustration out there.
2: There's a lot of stress going on.
0: Let's go to the point you were making, uh, which the point you were making is that the president uh, said that he is a wartime president now. Although he, I guess, is not aware that we are at war. Elsewhere, but right,
2: Right. he's sort of trying that on for size, Um, and you could, I think, you see (laughs) it at the press conference. He's kind of like, and I'm, I'm like, whatever works. I mean, if you want to think, if you want to wear a costume, if that will help you feel like you're the hero, that, that, but, but just please, please, please make. Decisions. Get as a president, as a general, get your troops the gear they need. Get the healthcare workers the equipment they need. He he. This all started because he said he was going to invoke the Defense Production Act, which would allow him to take fa- factories and produce a lot of the things that we're desperately, desperately lacking. The like when we're remain.
0: at a like when we're at war.
2: Yeah, like we're in a war. And then today he backed off on it and said, Nah, I'm not such a fan of that. And, you know, this is this just is not the time for it to say one thing one day, do another thing the next day, because you got a phone call from somebody. If you're going to do that, you can't call yourself a wartime president. That's not what we saw from Eisenhower. That's not what we saw from Churchill. And if he wants to be that guy, he needs to get his troops equipped. He needs to read the maps. He needs to read. He needs to do the work. He needs to level with us. And so far, he's not doing all those things. And I don't say those things because I want him to fail. I mean, God knows, we you know when we we've been on this. I've been on your show before. We've talked about Trump. You know, there were plenty of not nice things I've had to say about him, and I think he's earned them all. But that's not where my head is right now. Right now, I want him to succeed.
0: That's right. You we were talking last night, and that's that's what you said. Uh, this is. Uh... You know, we want to save lives. That's what you want. You want to save lives. You want to save Republican lives. You want to save Democratic lives. You want to save uh, independent lives. You want to uh, save Democratic socialist lives.
2: That's a good ad at the end. That's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What you're talking about is, like, literally equipment, like like masks. I mean, I, I heard, I think it was on the show you were on, with Katie Turr, she said something about uh, suggesting that if you run out of, if if uh, the, those in the front lines, uh, the nurses, the doctors, run out of uh, masks, surgical masks, to use bandanas, like in a hold-up in the Old West. You put a bandana over your face so that the marshal can't identify you. <laughs>
2: She's quoting the CDC, which was to say, if you can't find a mask, you know, put on a bandana or a scarf, which we really don't need the CDC for. I mean, to be t- to be totally honest, people really can figure that out without the analysis of the CDC. But this goes to the kind of point I was trying to make on the show, which is um everybody and their brothers trying to procure the things they need to save their lives and ours. And we look to the federal government for help, and they look to the federal government for help. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is begging. I mean, he's literally on TV begging Trump for help, putting his hand out. And, you know, one day Trump says one thing and the next day he says the other. And I think what's going on is people are all trying to figure out how do I manage his psyche so that he wants to actually do the right thing so he can look like the winner.
0: You have been very active and uh, basically, the stay uh, the fuck home. Is that what you call it? And I'm not, I, I try not to unnecessarily use obscenity here. But is that the name of your.
2: It really depends on the audience. So, you know, when we, in the, in the, lit- in the literature, we, we say stay the F home uh-huh. or we just say stay home. Uh, our, the website is called uh, stayhomesavelives.us. So there's really something for everyone.
0: Okay, so it's basically the message is the same, which is stay home. Stay home. And you were getting this message out, uh, have been doing that, and still continue to do that, even as millennials like Zach. And I don't know what a millennial is. Is Zach a millennial? He isn't. He's something else, right?
2: Uh, I think he's the next thing. Yeah, but I
0: still blame him. These kids in Florida on spring break running around going like, I'm not sick, uh, but I'm getting sick because I'm with a whole bunch of people. And then we're going to go back to wherever we are, uh, wherever we live, and uh, give this to somebody. They're going to give it to somebody else. And uh, we're going to have uh, way, way too many people sick at one time. Is that essentially what we're talking about?
2: There's two things that are disturbing. One is that 80% of the people who get the coronavirus get it from someone who didn't know they had it. Mm -hmm. You know, you may feel fine, but you're asymptomatic for quite a while. And younger people, 90% of kids who get it are asymptomatic the entire time. So, uh, you know, it is incredibly disturbing because it defies like what you're seeing. It defies any experience you've ever had. And so it's understandable that people don't, don't get it. And if I say get it, I mean that that it's hard to sink in. And it's really going to be hard to sink in for an extended period of time. Epidemiologists say that people can accept something like this for two weeks. But if after two weeks, the doom and gloom predictions don't come to them, uh, they they relax and let it up. The other thing that's happened, the other fact, I said there were two facts. The second one is that people's uh, attitudes about this, and you kind of referenced it earlier, Appear to come from which news channel is their primary is the primary channel they use to get the news?
0: Okay, there's a study out. Um, Basically, uh, the people who watch Fox are much less likely to believe that this is serious than people who say watch CNN or watch MSNBC. Is that correct?
2: That's right. The truth is, uh, a lot of people are going to die from this. Many people already have. But really a drop in the bucket compared to the estimates. There was a study from the Imperial College that was uh, probably the most definitive thing we know so far about how long this will last and how many fatalities it will be. Their estimate on the high side is that 4 million Americans uh, are going to die from coronavirus. And their estimate on the low side is 500,000. Now i just I just feel the need to say that they they could be way off I mean all, all kidding aside it's like you know it's like the end of the first inning and you're someone's projecting what will happen, what will be the score at the end of the ninth inning and no you know you had eight innings to play. you got pitchers to bring in, you got batters, trick plays, and all, all everything you do during the the course of the game, but it's helpful to know that if we did nothing we would be very much at the hind of that range. Meaning if we continued to socially interact and did all, did all the Florida beach stuff we wanted and saw our family and, you know, as much as we wanted, it's hard, it's hard not to, I mean, these are big, big, big adjustments, but we've never dealt with anything in my lifetime that, that we have no immune system for, and that spreads um, through the air, aerosol, it spreads through the air. And to which, um, you know, to, to some portion of the population, it's lethal. And, what makes the hashtag stay home thing particularly important is that many of us are going to get this. And for many of us, it's going to be like the flu. The problem is we can't all get it at once because if we get it all at once. We overwhelm the already constrained healthcare system, which is which is happening because the number of people who get it doubles every three days. And so no healthcare system, if you keep doing that, which is what's happening uh, because of the rate at which... Someone gets it and interacts and infects other people, then um, someone who may need it, may ne- who may have it and may be able to survive it can't get care. Uh, it's, tragically, I, there's a hospital in Seattle that I just heard. I had a conversation, just heard that they, if people who are over eighty, um, they are they they are basically making des- the hard decisions not to treat them. They're
0: doing triage um, over eighty. Yeah,
2: and that's gonna. Ha- I mean, this is gonna well, be. It's not the fault of the hospital. Um, n- nobody wants to be in that position. But we have, I'll give you an idea. In New York City, we have about 3,000 intensive care unit beds, which is where you need to be if you want to be on a ventilator. And the mayor and the governor are projecting that within the next few weeks, they'll have the need for potentially thirty or 40,000 intensive care unit beds.
0: Now, I have an old ventilator in my basement. Uh, it's from the 50s, and it's got leather tubes. It's kind of dusty. Uh-huh. You think I can get something for that?
2: Put it on eBay.
0: <laughs>
2: I'd, start, I'd start the bidding high.
0: Okay, we're, we're going to take a little break here to go to uh, a commercial, and uh, we'll be right back uh, with, with Andy Son. The best way to learn a language? Immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example... Let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ryan Reynolds here
1: from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Basically what you're saying, I feel like the audience listening to this podcast has heard this. And I, I feel like more often than not, they're, they're watching uh, MSNBC or, or CNN and they're reading maybe the New York Times and the Washington Post or they're going online to reliable sources and they know this. Uh, our problem is, of course, the people who don't know this. Fox has turned around a little bit, right?
2: Yeah. Well, look, to be fair, Tucker Carlson, if you believe what was in the newspaper, went down to Mar-a-Lago and put his proverbial finger in Trump's face and said, this is serious. This is ridiculous. This is not a PR hoax. And it, it may be, in fact, responsible for bringing Trump around. I think some of the hosts are still making light of it. And when they have Larry Kudlow and others from the Trump administration on who's trying to cheerlead the economy, you know, it's a little softer than it was before because facts are facts. There's body counts. I mean, this is going to be, watching TV is going to be a really horrific experience because every day and every newscast is going to begin with a body count total. And each day it's going to sound more and more unbelievable. And I think that's going to hit some people I think, quite honestly, other people—it's—it's um, it's, it, there's got to be some defense mechanism against accepting that because it just doesn't seem seem real. So I'm not—I'm not quite sure we've unlocked the sociological elements because asking people to stay home is hard. Asking people to stay home has not only economic consequences but but major social consequences. We're just we're not wired that way, and in America, we're used to doing whatever the hell we want. And and
0: here's my question, okay? You and you broached this a little bit. What's it going to be like in two weeks from now, four weeks from now, when you watch CNN or MSNBC or maybe even Fox, is it going to start to be about mental health? Is like, is it it going to be uh, 24-7 instead of epidemiologists? Is it just going to be therapists and and psychiatrists?
2: I've been on probably 15 to 20 um, uh, shows in the last week or few days. I will tell you that we are going to see newscasters crying on TV. Um, and I've had several of them after the clips get on with me and um, sound like they're almost in tears. I've heard uh, our our local congressman did a phone call for his constituents and he had an ER doc on and the ER doc was talking just about what was going on. And, uh, and he started to cry. Bill Ackerman, who is his sort of, you know, Sharp, Sharky, kind of New York hedge fund guy, um, got on CNBC yesterday, well, which, which March, whatever it was, and started to talk about the impact on the stock market and what was going on. And he started to cry, um, and the stock market started dropping like hundreds of hundreds of points during his during during this this episode,
0: basically. If you're on CNBC and you're talking about stocks, don't cry. That's the message <laughs> right now. If you're listening to this podcast and somehow you're one of these uh, people who go on a CNBC when you're talking about the stock market, uh, be chipper. Be chipper. Say, now's the time to buy. Do what the president has been saying uh, since day one. Okay, I, uh, I went on Twitter and uh, asked uh, people following me to ask Andy some questions. So, Andy, you ready? They're going to come at you. They're going to come at you. Uh, Does Andy know the true story around the WHO test, World Health Organization test kits, and why uh, the United States government did not purchase them? Dr. Burks today made it sound like they were were faulty. Uh, This is not what I've read. From Laura Hills. Well,
2: well, so I don't know firsthand, but I will tell you what I do know. Uh, it's I think it's pretty clear that mistakes were made, um, not necessarily just that one, um, and and it's not even clear that that would have been the right thing to do. I I don't know, but they had three opportunities to get a test done earlier, as much as a month earlier. One was the WHO test, um, they could have taken that. That's the World Health
0: Organization, and they devised the test, and we could have taken that test and had a test very early, but we did not. And the CDC did a test, its own test, and it was faulty. Is that correct? It was faulty,
2: yes. And then the third thing is they were offered about a month earlier while the president was saying that this was uh, all a hoax they were offered by the commercial labs who could see what was coming that the labs here in the U S would develop the test. And the CD said, no, 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 we got this. Mm. And so look, it's all water under the bridge right now. I think someday somebody will write a big report about uh, what went wrong and making sure it doesn't happen again.
0: New question. Anyway. Would you like, would like him, that you to speak on the second wave of cases hitting Singapore, Taiwan and Hong Kong and what that might mean for the U.S.
2: Well, those are countries that, as far as I know, still have very, very low caseloads and have been very, very effective. They were, I think, much more regimented and much earlier in how they handled things, although, you know, again, it's still early. We'll we'll learn learn more. What I think is relevant about the question is that the Imperial College report suggests that there is very likely to be two waves here in the U.S., that there will be a wave and then things will start to dissipate. We'll start to see improved numbers. People will be very, very, very relieved, but that at that point, we still won't have what is referred to as herd immunity, which is enough people in the population immune, and that so people will start returning to their normal lives, and NBA games will resume, and all of a sudden, um, it will pop up again, and that will be a very, very dangerous time. Because it'll be hard to tell the public that things aren't getting better. It'll certainly be hard to tell Trump things aren't getting better. And he'll tell everyone that things are getting better. And it's clear as day that a second wave will come right after that.
0: They're saying a vaccine is like a year and a half away. That's what I, I keep hearing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, they're actually, I mean, let me just clarify that, too, because... A vaccine isn't necessarily a year. An effective vaccine isn't necessarily a year and a half away. But what is what is true is that to develop an effective vaccine and produce it takes would take 18 months or so. And they'll cut corners and maybe you can trim a couple months off it. But that's how long it would take. And then once you do that, um, you've know you got to hope that it's successful uh, and, and it works. But it, it's, it's not really possible to develop it much more quickly than that.
0: Okay, here's another question about a, a different kind of test, I think. Uh, and and speaking of tests, and you were talking about the NBA uh, con- uh, coming back, what the hell was that? Why were NBA players getting tests when other people should be getting the tests?
2: So my, that's actually a part of my advice to people is – that if you want to get a test, you should join the NBA.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know? Right? Yeah, yeah, but that usually takes years.
2: Sure, you should have started, admittedly, earlier. (laughs) Okay. What do I think of the equity issue of famous people getting tests? You know, I think it sucks. I think it's not hard for the NBA to go to a private lab and purchase tests. And what the NBA would say is it's not our goddamn fault that this country can't produce enough tests. Don't blame us that there aren't a lot of tests. And We we weren't testing ourselves. You'd still have this problem.
0: Uh, Here's a question from Max Haynes. Uh, Can a test be made that will show your past contagion? Post-contagious people could be uh, the first line of helpers and start the economy back up.
2: There, there, there'd be a, a test that would, I think it would be a different type of test that would test antibodies. And I believe that kind of test can be made. So, but the premise of the question is a really good one, which is that at some point in the not too distant future, New York will be past this. It will have been the horror show that it is. Uh, but you'll have a whole bunch of people who have. The, who, who are now immune. In the several months' time, there will be a large number of people in New York that will be immune. Uh, I have an employee in New York who has the coronavirus uh, right now, and uh, in several weeks, he'll be immune. Now, he will be able to presumably go to the next city where there is the virus spreading, and uh, presumably he has any skills, um, he can help out without fear of infection and i think but know, he's an employee
0: of yours and has no has no skills is that what you're saying
2: um uh, you know i i'm saying he can probably move boxes
0: okay around
2: his name is his name is dean he's a hell of a nice guy and he's okay. he certainly can do more than move boxes and he's well, got coronavirus so we shouldn't make, make fun of him
0: he he will make a uh, uh he'll make a contribution somehow when he is uh, has immune immunity and then some at some point we'll have herd immunity right that's right and we'll have some when when, herd when immunity. is that right. when will that be
2: so the expectation is that between 20 and 60% of the population will get coronavirus and obviously if it's 20% there'll be far 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 fewer fatalities so that would be a good thing um, that would mean that, but that would mean that we were a, incredibly strict about holding ourselves inside for the next 18 months until or whenever a vaccine uh, was developed. But uh, if we are not as good at it, uh, they think the numbers could be as high as 60%. And if 60% of the people that you knew had already been infected and were immune, that means it would be more difficult to spread it. Right now, the average person who gets it spreads it to 2.3 people on average. But if 60 percent of those people had already had it, it would the the spreading would start to slow way, way, way down.
0: Let me ask you something. Is there then a push pull on isolating the way we are uh, to avoid this peak where our hospitals are overrun versus getting the uh, getting to a herd immunity?
2: You have asked this is the probably what will be the central question in all, all of this. Is there will be a tug of war between what I would refer to as, um, you know, the epidemiology or the, what we have everything we would do to minimize the death rate, versus the economic and sociology realities. I mean, you can't freeze the economy, and you can't tell people not to connect with each other for eighteen months, uh, or at least I, you know, it, many of us find it difficult to imagine that happening. And so, where you probably end up in is some middle ground and i think we'll have and we will probably end up having some uh interesting public debate that we've never had before around uh, around that very topic if you were going to optimize to save lives uh you the consequence might be you throw the country into a depression and by the way you could lose a lot of lives through a depression in um, in a lot of different different ways so it's not necessarily clear that the best answer is going to be, "Hey, let's let's just optimize for that and, and screw the economy and screw the, screw the sociology," because that could be quite dangerous in other ways. So, but but then, but perfect. will the
0: debate be sort of okay? We understand this argument that this uh, this argument that I just brought up, and uh, that there is going to be a middle ground that minimizes the number of deaths while maximizing uh, maybe mental health and our economic well-being. Yeah, I think it's going to be
2: a it's a it's a kind of conversation that at least I don't think we've ever had as a as a society before and I think it really needs to happen in an open, honest, transparent way it's as difficult as possible because it's really it really is there's no there's no way to win i mean this isn't about here's the way to win there's there will be things we can do to make the whole situation better, but then there will just be some very difficult choices so if we get to the fall and President Trump orders the n f l season to begin uh because you know, after all we have an election coming and people are getting restless and uh, the economy's suffering and the stock markets dropped, you know, another 5,000, 10,000 points. And he says, we've seen the caseload drop a little bit. We've been through the first wave. And he says, I'm going to order the NFL to play again. And people use that view that as a symbol that that could be a very likely scenario. And I'm not suggesting even that that's the wrong answer, uh, because I don't think there is a right answer. Uh, I think there will be a lot of people's opinions and, um The one thing I could say for sure in all of this is under any circumstance, under any condition, if you have a relative that's older, or if you have a family member whose immune system is compromised in any way, or they have diabetes or high blood pressure, those are the people that you really want to protect. Those are the loved ones that under any circumstance, these are the ones that are most at risk. And there may be an answer which says, let's just take all of our, Seniors and the sicker folks, and take care of them, weigh down them hand and foot, let them, but but socially isolate them for a while. Let life go on for much of the rest of the country. And by the way, that will happen at some degree geographically because you know this is hitting different cities at different times.
0: But I can imagine uh, that would be an interesting debate uh, in the fall between um, President Trump and Vice President uh, Biden, it looks like it's going to be him. Uh, and I bet the quality of that debate, I'm sure, will be stellar. Okay, let me ask uh, uh, a couple other questions. One, I, got, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to answer this because I had a couple of these. Uh, Andy Slavitt was one of the masterminds behind DME competitive bidding. Someone needs to ask him directly. How he feels knowing that he eliminated forty percent of home medical equipment suppliers, a move that set the stage for huge access issues for oxygen and ventilation.
2: It's good. Uh, it happened before. It happened before I got there, but um, but I understand the question. And it, it actually, uh, my understanding of competitive bidding for what people what people want to understand it is, it said if you're going to sell something to Medicare that's basically a commodity uh, item, then you have to go through a competitive bidding process. You can't you can't just uh, name the price and it saved Medicare a whole bunch of money. And at least to my knowledge, it didn't reduce anybody's access. Uh, and, and because I was there after it had been implemented, uh, I made sure to look at is everybody getting uh, the uh, the equipment and so forth uh, that they need. But no, this was done uh, through Congress and through the folks before me.
0: Okay. Well, that was from uh, Tyler Riddle. It turns out Andy wasn't one of the masterminds. Uh, Let's use our time now. I I did ask some of these questions. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. There's more. Uh, I've had a hard time pinning this down. Do I need to scrub down cans, boxes, anything I bring home from the grocery store? And with what? Will isopropyl alcohol on a clean paper towel work? I'm 65 with a heart condition. Checking my temp daily. Thanks.
2: So you, uh, you definitely want to be careful of food delivery, packaging, all of those things. What we do when we buy things at the grocery store is we leave it outside for 24 hours. Um, uh, or we scrub scrub it clean we definitely remove the packaging and i would advise the person who asked the question to do the same now it may be it may feel like an unnecessary precaution uh but we do know that that the virus can live on surfaces and so
0: if you if you stock up on boxes of pasta right mm-hmm. uh that box may have the virus and now when you say you leave it outside you're in minnesota people should understand that so it's cold out right right so but if you're in uh Arizona don't don't leave uh the chicken outside for a day <laughs> right, right, right you can
2: you can clean things uh certainly but they will if you wait a day uh to bring things in if you know if you're buying a little bit ahead anyway then you know just leave it either outside or in your garage or somewhere and you should be and you should be fine
0: you can bring it inside your apartment and just not um just not touch it, right, for a day. No,
2: um, don't do. Yeah, that. if you bring it in your apartment, <laughs> and if you're going it into your apartment, you might as well clean it um, and and just okay. support, you know use gloves. Open the box, take it out of the box, put it in uh, some Tupperware container. Um, and look, we we're just at a point where we don't know. It, it could be in two weeks someone learned something that tells us that was unnecessary. Uh, and so you know, I, I you don't have to. Uh, don't quote us on this podcast as being the gospel because we we still have much to learn about the virus. But as of now, that's what we understand.
0: Okay, so the rule basically is doing something and then learning later that it's unnecessary is just a lot better than not doing something and then learning later that it's necessary. Yes. Okay, now that sounds obvious, but um, overlooking the obvious is something I never do. Is that true? Never. Okay. Um, in, In important things. In important things. Sometimes I do overlook the obvious, but those are in trivial matters.
2: I actually think you're great about not overlooking the obvious as I think about it.
0: Yeah, that's one of my strengths, actually. Yeah. I learned that from comedy. I did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Actually, you point out the obvious to people that they didn't know was obvious until... You told them how obvious it was.
0: Yes. And and, and actually, that observation is not obvious, and uh, I thank you for it. That's uh, something I used to do uh, quite a bit in hearings. And thank you yeah. for your service. Thank you for really pushing uh, for what has been absolutely necessary, which is that people understand that they have to sequester um, themselves.
2: Yeah. And, and look, just, just so I'm not too embarrassed, if I ever listen to this a few months Later, part of the point that I hope we got across is, you know, difficult things are happening, but it doesn't mean that the good things in life have to disappear by any means. And, you know, one of, one of my favorite things is talking to you and laughing and trading jokes. And, you know, it would be a shame to think for people out there to think that, oh, my God, all of the things that give me pleasure um, have to go away as part of this stay home Thing. It's, the, it's the furthest from the truth. Um, it, it, in fact, you need those joys even more. Uh, so I, I don't want anybody to misinterpret um, the little bit of fun we've had. And I certainly don't want to look back a year from now or two years from nowhere. God knows when this could have either been way worse or hopefully way better, um, hopefully way, way, way better than things look right now. And go, boy! What were we talking about then? Because I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we will, we will. It will seem funny, or, or not in a funny way, but it would seem weird. That's, that's right. Given wherever it went. Uh,
0: you know, the humor. You know, uh, comedians do dark humor, and there's a purpose for dark humor. I think it's good for mental health, frankly, and um, I think it's embracing um, the just how difficult life can be and how horrible it can be. And this is, we're in a surreal time. We're in a time right now that this is the first time in my life where I feel like I'm in a dream or something, where I feel like, wow, um, you know, uh, 9-11 was tremendously hard and sad. Uh, this is like nothing we ever expected, except, and you tell me to watch this, Bill Gates gave a TED talk in 2015 after the Ebola crisis that was uh, remarkably prescient. Uh, What are the key pieces?
3: Uh, First is we need strong health systems in poor countries. Uh, That's where uh, mothers can give birth safely, kids can get all their vaccines, but also where we'll see the outbreak very early on. We need a medical reserve corps Lots of people who've got the training and background who are ready to go with the expertise. And then we need to pair those medical people with the military, taking advantage of the military's ability to move fast, do logistics, and secure areas. We need to do simulations, germ games, not war games, so that we see where the holes are. The last time a germ game was done in the United States was back in 2001, and it didn't go so well. So far, the score is germs one, people zero. Finally, we need lots of advanced R&D in areas of vaccines and diagnostics. There are some big breakthroughs, like adeno-associated virus, that could work very, very quickly. Now, I don't have an exact budget for what this would cost, but I'm quite sure it's very modest compared to the potential harm. The World Bank estimates that if we have a worldwide flu epidemic, global wealth will go down by over $3 trillion, and we'd have millions and millions of deaths.
0: Well, uh, you know, that was remarkably prescient, Uh, being that rich and that smart. Well, I guess they're kind of connected, aren't they? Um, So we didn't do that, and here we are. Uh, and we're we're uh all dealing with it
2: We are all in this together we are all this is this is the the surest thing I know. We are all in this together, and so if anybody is out there feeling that way, feeling um, depressed or feeling disconnected or feeling um like they're spinning and things are out of control, just know that. Uh, you're not alone everybody is in this together and uh and i think it should make it makes me feel better uh knowing that you know we're getting through this together cuz there's a lot of combined power uh in 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 all of our collective um um connection
0: well um i know america is taking solace from uh from your words andy <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was back to the dark, dark humor. But no, I, I appreciate that. I think we all uh, feel and hope that way. But this is this is going to get so friggin' horrible for people who don't have work. We we can't foreclose on people who can't pay their mortgage. We can't evict uh, people who who can't uh, pay their rent. I think uh, we're smart enough not to do that. So there's another unemployment thing, the guys who throw your stuff on the street when you're evicted.
2: Those those guys would be absolutely fabulous working in the um, coronavirus ward.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's a good note to end on, I guess. Um, Well, keep up the good work, Andy. I've been watching you. You've been uh, tireless. Uh, You've been a champion for uh, uh, common sense. Uh, You your inspiration to me because uh you've moved beyond our mutual uh distaste for the president and are doing everything you can uh to uh including giving advice to the white house and working for the common good which is what we uh all should be doing all the time so thank you Andy
2: Hey before we are finished can i ask you a favor like Yeah so, my mom, mm-hmm. who is like probably the number one Al Franken fan, and has been for years, like like she would like if other people tell her that they're an Al Franken fan, she gets offended uh, and has to outprove <laughs> how much of an Al Franken fan she is. Well, she lives in Chicago.
0: Okay, I like her. I like her like, already.
2: Her because of this travel, to stay home stuff. So I was wondering if I, if at some point I could just call her up, and have her say hi to you, and you say hi to her on this podcast.
0: On the podcast.
2: Well, whether you run, whether you keep it on there or not is going to be not my choice, but uh, but
0: I don't know if we're equipped to do Anything that. Right? Are we equipped to do that, Peter?
2: Uh, sure, I think so.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, it turns out that uh, uh, Andy had alerted his mom. And uh, he gave us uh, his mom's number in Chicago, and uh, uh, I acceded to his, his wishes. <laughs> oh, Hello, Beth. Yes,
1: this how is, are you?
0: I'm very good. Uh, your son told you I'd be calling. He asked me to call you, and okay. uh, he said you're uh, uh, my biggest fan.
4: That's right. I am your biggest fan.
0: That's very kind of you to say. Andy, what was he like as a child?
4: Well, you're going to think I'm just bragging. He was so great. He really was. He was just thoughtful and kind and sweet. He was just wonderful. He was really easy. Wow.
0: Andy, nice. I say the same about her. Yeah, so you had, uh, he was a, a happy child and. Um,
4: happy and very considerate very kind um just thoughtful
0: now does he call does he call i mean he was a yes. great son having uh you know having having me call and having you on the podcast
4: does he call yes he keeps in touch with me a lot i think he's concerned about me that um something's going to happen to me and i am strong and healthy and i could i could beat him up in a second
0: Okay, well, spoken like uh, a mom who beat her son repeatedly as a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're
4: going to call DCFS on me, right? Yeah. I'm,
0: I must say that uh, it's an honor uh, knowing your son. Uh, he's uh, been a great public servant and continues to be. You should be very proud.
4: Well, he likes you a real lot.
0: Well, good. That uh,
4: I am telling you.
0: It's a mutual admiration society. and. That's uh, that's what we like to uh, let the people in on here is uh, two guys blowing smoke up each other's ass. Behind. Behind.
4: <laughs> but do tell him to call me when he gets off the podcast. Okay.
2: Okay. I've got to do a live radio thing, and I'll call you later. I'll call you later tonight.
0: You see?
4: I'll, I'll be holding my breath.
0: Yeah, duty no, <laughs> duty no, calls gonna... for... for uh, Andy Slavitt. Uh Beth Slavitt, uh Andy's mom with a very thick Chicago accent. Uh th- thank you for for your all that's your fun. love and support.
4: Okay, Al, thank you too. Bye bye. Okay, Beth.
0: Bye. <laughs> Hi mom. Okay. Bye. Uh, there. That's that's a new moment in our, our podcast. We've never never done that. Uh Andy, thank you. Go to your uh, you. radio call.
2: That was very sweet. Uh, and whether you a- Keep it or not, it was. It
0: was. It was oh, it was we'll now. keep it. It's yeah. gold. <laughs> uh, well, that was nice. That was nice. Uh, we're going to be obviously coming back to uh, the coronavirus uh, again. You know that I'm not a guy who wanted to do with this podcast the news of the day, uh, but this is probably the news of the next several months, if not the next year and a half. So uh, we're going to be coming back to this, and I think I'd like to get uh, an economist on uh, to tell us what we should be doing, uh, you know, to save the economy. <laughs> and also, I, I, I know uh, we're going to need somebody uh, talking, talking us down, a mental health person, because I know I need that. Uh, so, uh, uh, keep listening and, uh, and, and, uh, we'll see you then. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
1: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians joined me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus